0: That today, Zechariah, he is one of the last prophets that actually hold the office of prophet. He's one of the last, as Janie said, he is one of the last of the New Testament or Old Testament authors. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be moving into the New Testament. It's kind of weird, but that's how far we've gone lately. We'll start off with Zechariah chapter one, uh, verse two. The Lord was. Very angry with your foref- forefathers. Zachariah is a contemporary with the guy that we talked about last week, Haggai. Haggai was very practical. How many people are like, you're right brain, you're very practical, you're very black and white, you're like, show me the facts, right? That's Haggai. And he's like, look you guys, um, you are living in a nice houses, but the temple is in... Ruins. It's in shambles. You have got your priorities all mixed up and you need to physically get to work. He's just laying it all out. Now Zachariah is his counterpart. He is the one that has his head in the clouds. So where Zachar where, where Haggai is practical, Zachariah is spiritual. So, you guys know this. Like in your life, you have struggles. Like, you have struggles to pay the bills, right? That's a Haggai thing. That is a very practical thing. You know, like, if you don't go to work, you don't get a paycheck. And if you don't get a paycheck, you don't eat. And so those are very practical things. So when you read Haggai, he's going to address that. He's going to say, get off your couch and go to work. Yet, at the same time, those of you that have been walking with the Lord, you know that there's a spiritual world. There is a dimension that is a reality that we don't see with our natural eyes and we can't hear with our natural ears, but those that walk in the Spirit, they're very aware of it. And sometimes it just feels like Murphy's Law whenever we're dealing with spiritual warfare and everything seems to be going wrong. Like All these bad things happen, and you're not quite sure why, because you're walking with the Lord, but you interested, and you push in, and you do spiritual warfare, and you try to figure things out. And this is what Zechariah is doing, because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we do not war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and authorities that exist inside of the spiritual realm. So there's an enemy of God that in the spiritual realm that is out to undo you, that is out to kill you, that wants to make sure that you do not unite in unity inside the body of Christ. The enemy of God is the one that puts the political spirit into your brain so you'll come to church angry and mad and arguing. That's the enemy of God. That's his strategy. You're already saved. So the only thing the enemy of God has left to do is to make you angry and depressed to disable you from actually advancing the kingdom of heaven. That's a strategy. He can't can't get you out of heaven, so he's going to make hell for you on earth while you're here. This is so beautiful. This is so glorious. Zechariah is, he has the same assignment as Haggai. This different perspective. We need to restore the temple. We need to restore worship. But we need to go after the heart of men. We need to go after their spirit, because spiritually, they're bankrupt. They're living in really nice, pretty houses, paneled, ivory houses. Their churches in shambles, but they live in a nice house. So. They think that they're rich, but they're spiritually bankrupt. And this is what he says. He says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Zephaniah is a very positive book. A lot of uh, these prophets, it seems to come off quite negative, right? Jeremiah, you guys straighten up or God's going to punish you. Ezra, you guys straighten up or God's going to... Actually, it's too late. You guys are going into captivity. You've already blown it. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Don't be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. All right, so God is gently using Zechariah to prophesy to the people. Again, he's one of the last prophets out there. Return unto me. Now, Chapters, uh, verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord says I will return to Jerusalem with mercy. And there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem, declares the Lord. Proclaim further that this is what the Lord Almighty says My towns will again overflow with prosperity. Can I get an amen? Wouldn't you like to have a little prosperity in your life? Now, they, the, the, the Jews have gotten to, them, gotten to the place where God can work with them. Like, they're dealing, they're listening, they're actually listening to the prophets. They're responding to the prophets. They're actually repenting. And now the new words, the new declar- declarations is that the towns, the lifestyle, the practicality of it will be that they will be overflowing with prosperity. The image is water. Usually, we're going to be. We'll do, uh, of course, this is spiritual, so we're going to be dealing with a lot of imagery today. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and Jerusalem. There's two major leaders, as we learned about last week. There is Zerubbabel who is the governor, he is a Persian governor, but he is in the line of David. So he is royalty, although he does not have the crown. He has authority, but he does not have the king's authority. He's a governor. And then there is the high priest Joshua. This is what they say about Joshua. This is chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, Zechariah begins to go into a series of dreams. Haggai didn't have dreams. So This is what God says. You straighten up, start, go to work. But Zechariah has a series, actually has a series of visions in the night. The word doesn't actually say dreams. Sometimes God speaks to us in the night seasons when we're sleeping. Did anybody have this experience? And it's not because you ate pizza with pepperoni. It's just like you know, like, like you wake Uprested. maybe you're the type like me where you're just you know you're just too crazy you're too frantic you're too you're going a million miles an hour and the only time that the Lord can minister to you is in the night is in your sleep it's a good reason why not to watch horror movies before you go to bed when you watch horror movies before you go to bed and if you're spiritually sensitive uh guess what that opens up don't watch that crap Because it is, it's going to open stuff up, and your, your, your dream state will become a playground for the demonic forces. Those have your, they'll have their way with you, and, and you're going to have nightmares. And they're not like kitty nightmares, they're spiritual in nature. So that does happen. But this isn't the case with Zechariah. Is, it is at night, and he is awake, and he is conscious yet he has open visions. And this is what he's talking about here. We'll talk more about that in a second. Okay, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? Jesus. So cool. Theophanies. It is is the incarnation of Jesus before he was born in the manger. He's seen throughout the whole the Old Testament. We see the angel of the Lord come up. And it's... I think it's fascinating. High priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and who? Satan. We haven't heard a lot about the guy in tights, have we? Because he's not mentioned a whole lot in the Old Testament, because he hasn't been completely revealed. David talks about him a little bit. Uh, we're going to be getting into Job in a couple of weeks. Job talks about him quite a bit. Uh, we see him in the garden in the form of a snake. But there's just not a whole lot of reference to the guy in red tights, except for right here. And we see what his strategy is. He is standing next to Jesus at the right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? This is a messianic reference of of Jesus, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes, and he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those that were standing there before him, Take off the filthy clothes. This is really cool. So we have the priest of the Lord, and he's in his white garments, except they're filthy, they're dirty, they're nasty. And I, I just think this just because it's all he had. And I think that this just because he's probably working his tail off. Like he's physically trying to rebuild the temple on his own. And he, He's a priest. He's, just, he's the high priest. But he's got to be the janitor. And he's got to be, you know, the painter. And he's got to do all this stuff. And so he, he's responsible for the temple. And he's cleaning it up. And so he's got dirty garments. Some of the expositors and the... Commentators, they say, well, he's just doing a physical illustration. So he's, this is like a sermon illustration. He's going to put on dirty clothes. I think he actually literally had dirty clothes just because of the, what was going on at the time. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. And this is so neat. This is the way that our God is. This is Zechariah in the presence of God. He says this. Then I said, let's put a clean turban on his head. Now, why do I think that that's neat? Because God is the one that's doing all the work here. He's the one that is, that is taking maybe a literal situation and he's turning it into a practical teaching illustration. And he allows Zechariah to give input Yeah, Lord, let's just not stop at a nice robe. Let's put a clean turban on his head too. This is neat. What does that say? That says that we have input. We have have skin in God's game. We get to name animals. Like if God didn't love us, he wouldn't allow us to, he wouldn't give us the ability to name the animals. It's like the first assignment that we get. Um, You ready for this? Uh, I'll leave it alone. Some people people, uh, think that God has completely wired everything. Everything is completely programmed and we don't have free will. I'm a free will guy. It's because Genesis 3 says, and God told Adam and Eve to name the animals. And then it says, because I'm curious as to what you will name them. Zachariah is like watching what God is doing, and he's like, can I add a cool turban to this? What's God doing in your life? What's God doing in people's lives that are around you? Can you add a little bit of spice to it? I'm not saying that you're going to overdo God or outdo God's Word, but like he's a creative guy, and you are, you are created in God's image, and therefore you have the ability to create things that, are, that do not exist, that never have existed. And this might be a little bit of a push, but maybe they did not even exist in the mind of God until we created them. Because God didn't know what a zebra was until Adam named it a zebra. Adam created that name, not God. God created created the animal, but Adam created the name. And it didn't exist in God's mind before he created it. So you can create. I think you know this. You guys can create something beautiful with your lives. Some of you have created some beautiful children. Beautiful lifestyle. Some of you have created some horrible monsters. Right? I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about messes in life. Put a clean turban on him. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in my ways, you keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts And I will give you a place among these standing here. And then, uh, for sake of time, he goes even further. Um, They crown Joshua. Big deal, Pastor Josh. So what? He's not Zerubbabel. He's not in the line of David. He's not a king. He's not in that branch of government. He is a priest. And in Zechariah's vision... The priest gets crowned. They actually move into a theocracy after this. There is no king in the line of David until Jesus comes next. Herod doesn't count. He's a pagan king. There's an awful The whole Herodian line, dynasties, they're all bad dudes. All right, let me get to the heart of what I want to talk about today. Chapter 4. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna come back to Zachariah again after this series is over because I think it's just a really cool book. I'm completely fascinated by it. I've fallen in love with it. Um... We get, there's huge connections between Zechariah and the book of Revelation. There's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's the four winds. There is, uh, there's the four horns of authority and power that that want to undo what God is doing. That symbolizes uh, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. It's a huge, fascinating book. There's a lot packed into this. So we will revisit it later. But this is what I want to get to. Chapter four. Then the angel... Who talked with me returned, and he walked with me, as a man is walked. Oh, excuse me. The an angel of the Lord who talked with me returned to me, and he wakened me as a man wakes from his sleep. And he he asked me, "What do you see?" Okay, this is important because everybody's awake here, right? There might be a few of you that have nodded off and that, that are asleep. And if that's your spouse, give them a nudge. It's okay. I understand it's raining. You had a lot to eat last night. You're going to fall asleep. Um, But we are all awake. (laughs) But we're all not fully conscious. Uh, Zachariah is awake. He is wide awake. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, and as if I have been woken from a sleep, what, do you, What's going on here is the angel Jesus is encountering Zechariah, and he is opening up his mind to different dimensions of consciousness. I know this sounds new age weird stuff, but this is what's really going on. He, his mind gets put into heavenly places and he has visions while he is awake. This is what God desires for us. God desires his church to function at a higher spiritual level. So when we pray, we, we attempt, this is difficult stuff, I know, but we attempt to pray in the Spirit. Come on Wednesday night, you might see that. if You're curious. But we attempt to pray in the Spirit. It's hard work. It, re- it, re- it requires a, a dedication. It requires discipleship. It it requires a a kneeling of one's will and a a desire to strengthen one's character because, as I said last week, can God trust you? Can God trust you with vision? Can he trust you with revelation? He could trust Zachariah with revelation, and this is what he gets— "'What do you see?' I answered him, "'I see a golden lampstand with a bowl at the top with seven lights on it, "'with seven channels of lights, and I also, and there are also two olive trees by it, one on, on each side, "'one on the right of the bowl and on the other at the left. "'And then I asked the angel who talked with me, "'What are these, my Lord?' So you go into higher levels of consciousness. God begins to give you a fresh revelation. It's a good idea to ask him what's going on. What is this that I'm seeing, God? What does it mean? What does my dream mean? What does this word mean? How does it practically apply to my life? A lot of times we get vision from God we never bother asking him what it means. We're just excited that we saw a vision. What does it mean? He answered. <laughs> this is great. Uh, you don't know what these are. How would you feel about that? Like God shows you something, and you're like, what does this mean? And God says, you ought to know better. You ought to know better. You got a Bible on your nightstand. You should be reading it. You've been going to church. You should be plugging in. You should be paying attention. You ought to know better, Zachariah. So he said to me, this is what the word of the Lord, uh, this is what the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. Isn't that cool? So what's going to happen? What's going to push you over? What's going to give you victory in life? What is going to literally transform your life? It's not by might. And it's not by power. It's not by what your natural gifts and abilities are. You can't push this stuff forward. It is only by his spirit. All right. So the vision that he gets. The vision is of, does your Bible say lampstand or candlestick? Candlestick's kind of a bad interpretation. Because this is really an oil lamp that we're talking about. And specifically, it is the menorah. The menorah is the Jewish um, uh, lampstand that was the only source of light in the temple. And Zechariah gets this vision of the, of the source of light, of the menorah. And to this day, the menorah is the symbol for the, the nation of Israel, the, the, it's like their logo. Well, I thought the Star of David was their logo. That's their political logo. But the logo for the people is the menorah. It is the lampstand that gives light. And so for a high priest to, to walk into God's presence with dirty clothes, and he says, you need to take those off, And you need to put something else on. So when you step across the line of faith, when you give God your life, when you ask for forgiveness of sin, when you repent, you take off your old, dirty garments and you put on clean, fresh garments. Uh, Specifically, Colossians says that you're going to put on uh, compassion. You're going to put on kindness. You're going to put on humility. Humility. You're going to put on gentleness. Isaiah says that you're going to put on salvation and you're going to put on, not yours, but you're going to put on his righteousness. And these are the things that you're going to clothe yourself with and then you tend the menorah. You tend this lampstand. And this vision is so powerful. It is, it is very, it only, only Zechariah has this vision because this menorah is like a supercharged menorah. It's not just your little, you know, the ones that you see during Hanukkah. No, this one's different. This one has a bowl of oil that feeds the seven lights. And this bowl of oil is also being fed by two living olive trees. So there is an endless supply of oil that is going into this menorah. Here's the cool part. Um, Who's the menorah? Yeah, Jesus is the menorah. We know specifically from the Gospel of John that Jesus is the light of the world. I got it backwards. I think it's Matthew. Matthew says that Jesus is the light of the world. So cool. So Jesus is this menorah. And Jesus in the Gospel of John gives us a commission. What does he say? He says that my church, that you are the light of the world. You're a lot like Jesus if you try. He his desire is to funnel oil in and through and over you Um, the olive oil is a, a practical thing that brings light it's a very powerful symbolic force because it is it is in the anointing the anointing is in the oil so kings are anointed with oil and the oil drips down the head and over the beard. Ladies, you don't have a beard, but you get anointed too. You just don't have a beard. Um, and it, get, it, it covers the whole part and the blessings drip from, from your face. And in the anointing, well, there's healing. Because there's, oil heals. It's a healing source. In addition to being a source of light. The oil is... Uh, purifying. It's a cleansing source. And it's endless. Remember the beginning of, of the scriptures when we started reading? Je- uh, the Lord says, um, I am going to return to Jerusalem. If you come towards me, I'll come towards you. And I'm going to, what the Lord is saying, I'm going to return to you with Mercy. Oh, my gosh. Can you say mercy? mercy. mercy. It, is, it is like, it's, it's grace. It's, you don't deserve it. Remember, well, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on this. But remember when Jacob is wrestling with God? A lot of us, many Christians, especially when we begin to think in a political mindset, when we think with a political spirit, we, we tend to wrestle with God because we think our ways are better than his ways. And we wrestle with the Lord, and we, or, or we're dealing with the problem of evil, or we're dealing with the problem of pain, or, or loss, or death, and we go, instead of putting our trust in the Lord, we, we pull a Jacob, and we begin to wrestle with the Lord. And you can wrestle all day long, or like Jacob, all night long, but you're going to lose. Jacob said, uncle. He said, mercy. And God is coming at us with mercy and grace and that is part of his anointing and when he fills our bowls when he fills our lampstands and there's like tubes there's like supercharged oil tubes there's seven of them that are coming in it's amazing the anointing is being poured over us yes jesus is the lampstand but we too are the lampstand we have access to the oil. Here's the thing about the trees. What do they represent? They're very, um, I believe, because Zechariah talks about it in chapter 8, I believe that um, it could possibly, some people think it's one tree is Old Testament, one tree is New Testament, or one is law, one is grace. I don't agree with that one. Um, but Zechariah in chapter 8, he talks about uh, the good shepherds and the bad shepherds. And he says that I'm going to shepherd my people, the ones that have been destined for slaughter. I'm going to save them. And I've got two staffs. So you know that um, you know, when sheep are naughty, you, you, you beat your sheep with a staff? Well, he's, this one, the Lord has two staffs. And one is union and one is favor. These staffs are actually named. Union, unity, unity. And favor. I think that's probably what the trees represent too. So when the oil, the anointing oil comes in, if the oil is one of favor. It is an anointing oil. It's a favor, and it's feeding favor into our lives. And it's feeding unity into our lives. And here's the thing about oil, olive oil that goes into a lamp, and then it pours over you, or, or you use it for cleaning, and you use it for healing. It just doesn't stop there because the oil has to be lit. Oh, we've been... Have you had the healing oil poured over your body? What does that mean? That means you got healed. Wow. Um, have you, most of us can relate to this, but you were living a life of sin. You realized it. God called you out. You repented. You changed your life. You were a new creation. You had the oil poured over you, but has your light been lit? And I think that's the question today. Have you been lit? I got to show you this. Okay, so a couple of years ago, uh, I was given. We pray for the sick. We pray that God heals the sick, supernaturally heals the sick on almost any given Sunday. Today we had to pray for the president. Did I pray for the president? Yeah. Dang it. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll do that real quick. Um, We pray for the sick on any given Sunday, and uh, I don't see it up here. It's around. It's probably hidden, or I don't know where it's at. But we have a jar of olive oil that we bought at Costco. So we didn't buy it at the super religious store where it's anointed or anything. And we will anoint people with oil, not because it's magic. I don't like magic. But we do that out of an act of obedience because the word of God says anoint those with oil when you pray for the sick. A couple years ago, um, I got a little tool. I got this this anointing oil from a friend in the church. Uh, It's very sweet. And so I use this when I pray for people maybe outside of the church. So I carry it in my briefcase with me and and it's very precious to me. And um, a while back, I lost it. I tend to lose things, and I told my friend I lost my oil, and so she got me another one, and I kid you not, as I was getting ready for this message this morning in my office about an hour ago, um, I'm like, okay, here's, my, here's the, the oil, the replacement oil, I just want to keep it with me because I'm talking about the anointing oil and in my pocket. Uh, there's the one that I lost. <laughs> I kid you not. And so I got like the two trees. I, I just believe that that's what God's, because I'm like, I'm not gonna teach on stupid olive trees, Lord. I'm not gonna make, this, this is weird. It's too symbolic. It's not gonna make sense. It's not gonna, it's not gonna connect with people. Look, the point of the trees, the point of the oil, is that it is infinite, and there's enough for you. Uh, the Lord's love endures forever. Meaning that his love for you, you should know this, his love for you is unconditional and it's actually outside of our time. It's into eternity. So he's got enough love for you. Mercy. Mercy also exists outside outside of our dimension. It's in eternity. He has an infinite supply of mercy and grace for you. Healing. Healing. When when the kingdom of God is expressed on earth, there's an infinite supply of his healing presence for you. Provision. Resources. Uh, Sheep on a hill. In other words, money. There's an infinite supply of money for you, of resources for you. I know that sounds like prosperity gospel, but we've got to change the way that we think. We serve a God that is eternal, that has infinite resources, and he wants our children to tap in to these trees, to this lifeline, this infinite supply of blessing. He has enough for you. I right, get the band to come up to the front. We've got to wrap this up real quick. He's got enough. He really does. His ways are not our ways. The way that we think is not the way that he thinks. I said this before. You need to start thinking like a Jew. You want to step into favor. You want to step into unity. We've got to change the way that we think. And I'm going to have you stand with me. And I'm sorry I, I, I got going and I forgot about the nation and our president. But we need to pray, again, we need to pray for them. Again, the scriptures require us to do so. So thank you all for standing. Your heart might not be there, but your body is, and so God can work with that. i forgot to have the ushers come to the front. If it's your first time, welcome. Fill up a little card, and we'll send you a gift in the mail. Let's just go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, as a congregation, as a, as a church family that is diverse and that loves you and that, it, that, that seeks to stick our head into heaven, that wants to know more about your presence, that actually wants you to expand our consciousness so that we can experience different levels and higher levels of your love and your goodness and your grace. I pray that you show us new dimensions of grace. And God, you know, we know that we have been called as a church to intercede for the nations. And first and foremost, God, your word says that we ought to pray for those that are in authority over us, kings and governors and rulers and bosses. And so, God, right now, we just lift up our new president to you. We just ask that you give him wisdom, that you give him guidance, that you give him perseverance. We pray for divine perfect, uh, protection over his family. pray that the Spirit of God will rest on him and that he will seek your Holy Spirit for counsel and for guidance and even in times of stress for comfort. I pray that he will just humble himself to you in the name of Jesus. And God, we pray for our great nation, God. We do feel like this rain is coming down and that it is a blessing. It is a sign from heaven. And so, God, we're just going to, we don't know what you're up to. We don't know what you're doing, but we just want to make sure that we're on board and we're going in the right direction with you. So, God, bless this nation. May it bless Israel. May it be a blessing to all peoples all over this world. We humbly ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen.